Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Dallas Cowboys have drafted a player who punched his mother, signed an alleged wife beater, woman beater, and, and a suspected murderer. But where do they draw the line? Johnny Manziel. Thank you, Johnny Manziel, for being the new standard for NFL players. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Um, pardon my weird intro there. I just sometimes some rumors get uh, thrown around during the week, and I I don't get a chance to uh, talk about them because it may be a little bit after the fact, or it's gone through so many days since we do our podcast once a week. And I just thought I should address that. I I just thought that was kind of funny that Dallas has gone after you know Greg Hardy, signed Des or drafted Des Bryant, and uh, signed uh, you know the. The suspected murderer last out Lyle Collins, obviously. Obviously, that was all, you know, not, in Collins's case, all, all, not, all for naught. But uh, I'm glad to see they finally drawn a line, line in the sand. Sorry, Johnny, you're not going to play in uh, at least Dallas. Maybe Houston will give you a shot, but uh, I think Johnny's done. But anyway, moving on, we had some Super Bowls last week, a Super Bowl last week. We had a whole bunch of prospects to talk about today. Uh, I am Joshua Johnson. This is the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much. I actually had a little bit of a cold spell here in uh, Kihei lately. It's been getting down into the low 50s at night. Real chilly. How are you doing today? Yeah. Two inches of snow this morning, two more tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. So, in case you don't know, Nick's, Nick's in Hawaii there. so I like to send him pictures every now and then of the snow. I don't know why. I guess because I think I'm really just ensuring that he's never going to come back. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's our story. Anyway, got a great show for you today. Uh, contributor at Dynasty, excuse me, contri- contributor at DraftBreakdown.com. Jeff Lloyd is going to be stopping by. Jeff is one of my most trusted authorities when it comes to the NFL draft. I, I often bother him on Twitter, and I just, just trust his knowledge. The guy runs his own podcast, and he just studies the draft all year long. So it's, it's always, excuse me, always a great time when we can have Jeff come back and just kind of help us out and answer some uh, some prospect questions for us. So um, 
Let me do a little Super Bowl recap here in a second. Nick's going to rant. Do a little plant your an early edition of plant your flag or wash your hands. Polo say pre-draft edition. Talk about the best number thirty-one. Uh, Dynasty dilemma as you put Travis Kelsey versus Tyler Eifert. Uh, this is a really good one. Uh, for a while, I was kind of upset that I chose Eifert, but uh, this is a really good one even when it really boils down to it. We've got some dynasty traits to talk about, of course, and then we'll end with a little trust, prospect profiles and uh, some trivia. But just one thing that I wanted to say here before we got moving forward to our uh, Super Bowl recap, Nick, is uh, – Sam Spence, composer Sam Spence, died on Saturday at the age of 88. He was, of course, the uh, the Mozart behind uh, an NFL films. And if you love the Genesis and the voice, you obviously love the music behind it, too. So, you know, he just provided, Spence provided such an instrumental backdrop for many genera- generations to fall in love with, with the sport that we know as American football. So I just wanted to just say, you know, just thank you for your contribution contributions to the game you know most people don't want to don't don't really necessarily think think of somebody like that as, as relevant to the game but for me as a, as a dork who spent most of his childhood watching nfl films to me he was just uh, obviously like i said the instrumental backdrop to everything that i grew up and loved love to hear and obviously when you if you don't hear, if you hear that music and you don't get chills, you're not a football fan, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Nick, Nick, any words there? Um, I just would second everything you said. He did a fantastic job. Yeah, certainly, certainly, a big loss. But obviously, we have tons of music of his that will live on. So I, I'm, I'm very happy for that. Uh, Nick, we had, a, 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 I guess, the biggest game in on the planet last week, Super Bowl. Uh, what what are you, some of your thoughts there as as we watched uh, Denver win by two touchdowns? Kind of a shocker there. But. Well, obviously Denver's defense was the story of the game in the twenty four to ten victory. One of the few flaws in uh, NFL MVP Cam Newton's game is that uh, when he gets rattled, sometimes he tends to overthrow his receivers, and we saw that early and often. I think this great defense simply got in the head of not only Cam Newton, but the whole Panthers offense. Uh, for example, Mike Tolbert lost a fumble. That's something he hadn't done since 2011. Uh, that whole Panthers offense just looked out of sync. And it's too bad because the Carolina defense played pretty well. They really kept him in the game until the end. Coney Ely, uh, three sacks and an interception, continued to build on the success he had in the second half of the season. Uh, the biggest key to Denver's winning, I think, was the winning the turnover battle, 4-2. to two. And, of course, it was great to see Peyton go out a champion. I know he hasn't made it official, but as calculating as Manning is, I'm thinking his post-game remark about having a lot of Budweiser's was likely to be in a series of Peyton Manning Budweiser commercials. And for the record, I'm not buying the Peyton Manning drinks Budweiser. I'm a man who loves to drink beer, but I won't touch that nasty stuff. What do you think, Josh? When Peyton wants to unwind, does he go for the red and white can? Um, I actually enjoy myself a Bud Heavy every now and then. Um, It's really good in tomato juice. Uh, as I talked about last week, but uh, Bud Light. Now, that is some rock cut stuff. But anyway, Budweiser. I love me some Budweiser, and I know they're the same company. <laughs> I do actually like Bud Heavy. Uh, 5.0, you know, sometimes you just need a good old good old domestic uh, big big company thing to hit, it, to hit it to you. But anyway, I really think the lack of adversity that the Panthers had to face this year really caused them to not – they were not able to make adjustments in this game. They just didn't know what to do. You know, the wide receiver thing finally caught up with them because you you have a bunch of wide receiver 
twos, you know, and that's 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 being very nice to some of the wide receivers on that team. Against two just devastatingly shut down corners, and you know, Talib tried to give this game to him a couple times with some really bonehead penalties, but I just think they were so you know six points was the biggest deficit they had faced all year, or like they faced at halftime in this game, and so there was just so they just kind of did things what the way they needed to, and it helped them get by. They didn't have to make huge adjustments, you know, throughout the second half of games. They, yes, they came back from some, some deficits and won the game in the second half, but they didn't have to make adjustments. And when you're not used to adjusting your offensive scheme to find holes in the defense, that's just, I think, ultimately what's kind of what spoiled their party. It was um, – you thought there was, like I said before we got going, that there was three or four times where, like, you know, the Ely, the Ely interception or the fumble that they got late in the game that Ely of awful forced and recovered. There was, you know, there was three or four times like, okay, this is their chance. They can get right back into it. And then just, like, even at the end of the game before the, the huge fumble that everybody's talking about that Cam didn't die for, you know, 75 yards how many minutes, and all they needed was a touchdown and an extra point to win the game. So, I mean, they still had their chance, and it just and it just didn't happen. It was, it, it, was hard, it was hard to watch, especially since they were the favorite. But, again, I think, yes, Von Miller won the MVP, but somebody said on Twitter right away that the MVP of the Super Bowl has got to be Wade Phillips. And I, and I to- wholeheartedly agree. I'm sorry I don't know who's, who sent that tweet out, but I wholeheartedly agree with that statement because it was just – it was just phenomenal play, and I don't know I don't know how anybody could have beat them. And conversely, I think, you know, Denver, with losing Manning for those many weeks as they did and losing some bad games, it, it really caused them to just look at the way they did things, and they were able to make adjustments throughout the season. And, you know, you, you can't never bet against the hot defense in the playoffs, and I think that that, that fact became very, very evident on – on Sunday. So each and every week, any, any other thoughts there, Nick? Uh, no, I think we pretty much covered it all. You know, Denver just didn't make as many mistakes as Carolina did. So offensively anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said right away in that game, when they, when Denver scored that defensive touchdown, I looked at Henry, my, my son who was cheering for the Panthers. And I said, I'm sorry, Henry, the game is over. And I didn't, I wasn't trying to make him mad, but I mean, if, if I said if they score a defensive touchdown, that is all they will need because that enabled them to make a few turnovers and still still their defense held true. So it, it was – I mean, and really the game was over. Carolina only scored 10 points. I mean, and that was – when Denver scored the touchdown, it gave them 10. So really the game was essentially over at that point because even though it was a great game to watch, Nick said, like Nick said before we got going, it was – it was fun to know that the game was kind of on the line most of the uh, most of the most of the time too. You knew you knew it, that just was, that made it so much fun to watch. But it was obviously not the way a lot of people expected it to go. But uh, great defensive effort. That's what this game will will be will boil down to there. Each and every week we do a little something that I like to call Nick Rant. It's where I give my co-host Nick the floor to kind of rant. That's bothering. Sometimes I call it shot fired. Sometimes I call it often controversial. Nick, what do you got for us this week, buddy? 
Well, I've never been a huge fan of the NFL Hall of Fame induction process ever since the days when Art Monk was getting annual, annually snubbed even though he had more catches than anyone in the Hall of Fame at the time. But what's even worse, in my opinion, is how they treated Ken Stabler. Stabler, of course, was just voted in with, with this year's class about seven months after he passed away. Ken Stabler led his teams to winning records every year from 1973 through 1980, uh, won a Super Bowl, was a 1974 NFL MVP, twice led the league in passing touchdowns, four-time Pro Bowler. There's no question he did everything to earn a spot in Canton. And by finally inducting him in, the voters admitted as, as much. But Ken Stabler will never get the chance to know the feeling of putting on that gold jacket, never had the privilege of hearing the title of Hall of Famer attached to his name, and why? Because the voters still hold some petty grudge against Al Davis? I can't think of any other reason. I mean, he was a partier, sure, but you could say that about half the guys in the Hall. So even though he earned the right to call himself a Hall of Famer, the voters, in essence, stole that from him. I would love to hear one voter explain why he didn't deserve to get in for the last 20 years, but did deserve it in 2016, 32 years after he retired, and explain it in a way that didn't make the voters sound like spoiled children that don't want to let Kenny join the club because, you know, Kenny's dad has a stupid face. Now, I don't know how to fix the process. Maybe they should let more players in each year. You, you know, you might be able to argue that someone who isn't in deserves it more than a player who is already in, but just based on their own merits, I can't think of one player that's in the Hall of Fame who shouldn't be there. I don't really expect to see any changes made to the popularity contest that is the Hall of Fame selection process, but it is very sad for me to think that Ken the Snake Stabler will never see his bust enshrined in Canton. Uh, and I'm the Raiders fan talking now. Nick Nick is not a Raiders fan, and that's how he feels. Maybe maybe people didn't like the long hair. I don't know. Uh, we and we know how we can get picked on with long hair or typecast. I think that's uh, or stereotyped. But uh, yeah, I I told, wholeheartedly agree. I mean, baseball did the same thing with Ron Santo like months after he died. Oh, okay, now now we're gonna put you in the Hall of Fame. I mean, just like I, I understand that they maybe wanna honor somebody but seriously why why not do it when they're alive now all of a sudden because they're passed away you feel this need to, to honor their their memory and that just yeah it doesn't make sense and again no steve atwater he made he was a finalist this year but seriously i got so excited when i saw that he was a finalist but uh the man i know is the smiling assassin well you know he just he cast his shadow on so many people that he played against and i just Oh, I get so mad when I find out. But I remember that he's not in the Hall of Fame. When I, when I think about like my, probably like some of the top ten best players of all time, I always think of just the way he he devastated people. And maybe because you know maybe those writers are afraid that the uh, he'll he'll uh, hit them or something if if he if they see him or something or I don't know. I feel like you should tackle him because he doesn't get in. But anyway, yeah, tough tough as nails player and he deserves to be in and until you put him in i'm going to talk about it every single year because you made him a finalist this year so i got really upset and really excited for him and i conversely got really upset that he didn't get in so congratulations to ken stabler and i, and I hope hope his family realizes that you know he should be he should he certainly should have been there when he was still alive but please you know Please take it for what it is, and uh, hopefully that uh, – I'm happy to see him go in, obviously. would have been a lot happier to see him make a speech because certainly uh, a Raider through and through. So, And Steve Atwater, you still got a chance, buddy. Get him on the podcast next year and talk about it. But anyway, uh, Jeff Lloyd is on the phone, so let's patch him through. Jeff, are you there? Yeah, absolutely, guys. How you doing? 
good. How how's it going with you today? Not too shabby, buddy. Not too shabby. All right. Again, it's uh Jeff Floyd. Um I I do you do you have a have a title for yourself at this present time or should we refer to you as as such? <laughs> Um, actually, no, uh, just getting ready this week, uh, actually be joining, uh, inside the pylon, a great new site, uh, probably out within the last two years. I'll be doing some wide receiver rankings. I'll have, uh, my Treadwell piece up later today and defensive backs and other wide receivers. So looking forward to that, uh, you know, draft season about 78 days away from it. Uh, for me, most exciting couple of months. I mean, it's a great way to get through the winter. I got to tell you that. So you're joining inside pylon as a writer. Absolutely. Yep. Very cool. Well, I guess I didn't know that you were available. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I, won't, I, I won't hold it against you. But anyway, like I said, I bring Jeff on because I trust his knowledge, and he lets me pick on him on Twitter, and he always responds. So if, if there's a prospect out there that I was like, or if I need to know, like, who, who's, who's the top safety or who's, who's the safety that's on the rise, I can just I can tag Jeff in a tweet, and I know he's going to respond. So. I appreciate you always being there for uh, for me and humoring me and coming back to the show, but uh, man, no, I, look, I'm married. I got two daughters. I love football. There's not no one in my inner circle who's interested in anything I got to say. So if anybody <laughs> wants to talk ball, I am ready to go, buddy. Um, and one and one thing I wanted to ask you before we get going, Jeff, is I think for a while your Twitter profile said former. Wide, college wide receiver. I, where did you play college at? Well, if uh, any of you guys are following uh, college basketball this year, the Mammoth Bench has become a thing of legend in the Twitter community. Mammoth University is where I played, a tiny little school in West Long Branch. But, uh, you know, growing leaps and bounds, uh, basketball program, the top 30 program in the nation. Uh, football stadium is going to be demolished uh, October 29th, going to be built up to about a 6,500 capacity or so, maybe a little less, you know, school on a rise. Uh, I was part of the first team there for me it was a local kid. You know, a lot of us guys, you know, went, you know, a lot of guys, my age, we went played one year somewhere else. For me, it was Northeastern, you know, it was, the, the school was a lot bigger than, you know, I could handle and the opportunity to come home 20 minutes from home, play college football, go to school five minutes from the beach in New Jersey, which is too much to pass up. Great time. Uh, you know, the coach who football coach who's still there to this day, was the first coach the program ever had starting in 1993. Just, you know, great little tight little community over there. Uh, you know, I've got a, I've got a nephew who's over there now. So I'm on campus, you know, a couple of times a month going to games and such. Just, just great time. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so, and actually, if you guys you got- want to know, uh, we did produce you know, Miles Austin. Obviously, everybody knows the name. That was probably the the biggest player produced out of the program over there. I, I was trying to think when you started, when you said the name, I I, I knew there was somebody um, currently. I guess yeah, I don't know if he's still currently a Philadelphia Eagle. I think, but anyway, well, yeah, I don't think he's there anymore. We do have a wide receiver uh, uh, actually with the Bills named Chris Hogan. He actually was a, was a um, guy as well after a four year lacrosse career at Penn State. There you go. We love Chris Hogan. He's awesome. Um, just a just a blue collar worker, man. Gets the job done. But anyway, oh, always find a way to sneak into a lineup as a wide receiver three on any given Sunday in fantasy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely a nice contributor there for Buffalo. Um, so who whose stock is up now, right now, Jeff? And who who, who do you think really needs the combine? 
Uh, as far as stock being up, I, I don't think things could get any better for Carson Wentz or for Noah Spence right now. Uh, obviously, the two of them went down to Senior Bowl. Wentz, it was starting before he even arrived. Spence, a lot of the talk, obviously, you know, uh, had, to, had the issue, obviously, with the ecstasy in Ohio State. Ended up having to leave. Went down, went to a smaller level, did nothing but just ball out. Um, obviously, it looks like he interviewed pretty well, well down in Mobile. And he showed off everything that, you know, he had at Ohio State, which made him a phenomenal pass rush. You know, quick first step, burst, strength. Uh, he's got some bend and some twitch to him. It just, he, was, he just absolutely put on a clinic down in Mobile. There wasn't one guy down there that I did not get a text, tweet, you know, email, phone call about how Noah Spence was just tearing it up. He probably took himself from a late, round, late first round consideration to where point where he's probably a consensus top ten. Um, Wentz, uh, it, it rose for him. He's still not my number one quarterback. I don't think he'll end up being my number one quarterback, but checks all the boxes. You know, the six foot five plus size, big arm, big frame. My thing, only thing is going to be, which hurts him in my eyes, is the competition he played. This is probably why I'm going to keep Jared Goff, you know, probably for the next 78 days ahead of him. Um, as far as, you know, who needs the combine the most, Look, I mean, obviously with all these underclassmen, here's going to be the first time where we can see, you know, what do these guys weigh? You know, how tall are they? Or all these things we've heard about them legitimate. The biggest one, though, in my opinion, has got to be Robert Incondice out of Old Miss. Um, first off, the guy's listed at six foot four, 295 pounds. I'd be shocked if he was taller than 6'3". He does not look on tape like he would carry six foot four. Even the 295, I question. The tape, now let's get into this. There's not much protection from this young man whatsoever. So he's another guy. I don't understand how people get excited and are still putting him top 10, top 15 in mocks. And then let's get into the off field. Uh, we knew early on in his career he had issues with marijuana. And then I cannot escape. He fell out of a hotel. <laughs> he, he fell out of a hotel. I just, that, that will not escape me. For, by any means, I, I just don't know how I could go to my bosses and my GM and say, look, I love this kid. We've got to risk our futures on him. I don't care. We may get fired. And then he's going to look at me and say he fell out of a hotel. So Robert Nkendiche for me right now is a guy I probably altogether wouldn't even draft, period, just because everything that I see of him is a guy who maybe looks the part, but he doesn't produce, and I can't trust him. So he's a guy I'm not very high on. He's he's going to have to interview his can off. He's going to have to work, he's going to have to produce through the workouts like there's no tomorrow. He's going to have to cure the question the, the size concerns that I have for him. I think you know that those few days it's probably bigger for no other guy than him. And you know obviously as far as you know quieting the concerns, obviously we're not usually privy to that information. But man, does this boy got a lot of work to do in Indianapolis? Well, can't you just get him a, a a room on the road on the first floor, the main floor? <laughs> I, yeah, I guess, I guess. But then the other thing is, is he's going to be blazing up in the hotel anyway, so we're going to yeah. blaze up to something anyway. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of concerns there, and I think some people have those concerns about Spence just because he actually, you know, actually got kicked out of school. What What do you think about Spence being being six I, one? Is that going to is that going to make well, him a an outside linebacker as opposed to a defensive end? I think I well I think with the six two two fifty range, think obviously you can easily stand him up, and he'll probably win better there, uh, obviously than he would be with a hand in the ground. He seems like he can still set the edge, though. Obviously, you're not getting outside him as a ball carrier. 
if you want to play him at three, four edge and, you know, hope you get some Von Miller light out of him, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, obviously, it's all the rage now, the Khalil Max. These, these are what you want. You want these guys. You want guys to rush the quarterback. Look, if I can't build myself a Hall of Fame secondary, how do I save my secondary? I save my secondary making sure the quarterback's got less than three and a half seconds to throw the ball. So you, that's why you go after guys like Noah Spence. I loved him for the Jets at 20 going into Mobile. I now realize that dream is gone. He, he, I'll, I'll be shocked. I'll be shocked if he even makes it out of the top ten. And the only reason it would be is maybe because people had the concern. But I know he was tested uh, over eight times this year in college, passed every time. You know, he, there was a big piece that came out. I believe it was Bruce Feldman who wrote it where he owned everything. You know, he put it all on himself. There were some lies and cover-ups about it earlier. Not anymore. He was free to put it out there. He knew what he did. He knew what he risked. And he seems to have, you know, you know grown up and moved past it. Okay. Um, Nick, any questions about any of those guys so far? Uh, not any of those guys, but uh, you mentioned you were working on some wide receiver rankings. I was just wondering, in general, how does this year's wide receiver class compare with the last couple of years? 14, 14 was absolutely ridiculous. 15 may not have been as top-heavy, but may have possibly been deeper. 16 here, we're, we're, we're not there. We're not, we're, we're not going to compare with either of those classes this year. Um, you know, some of these guys have their holes. We have a lot more number two receivers slot guys. These guys are really good ball players. They'll contribute, and they'll contribute a lot. But I don't think we have the overall abundance of superior talent like we did in 14 and 15. And look, maybe those classes were just that special. It's not that the 16 class is below average, I would say, as much as 14 and 15 were just that much more above average. Yeah, I've been saying for the last couple months, I feel like there's a lot of Terrence Williams, even though there isn't necessarily any Des Bryant's. That's just that. That's a pretty fair point. And even Laquan, you know, Laquan Treadwell, who's probably, you know, basically the number one, basically in this class, even him, he comes with his concerns. Now, now there's some crazy talk, you know, that his 40 time could be in the four seven range, which can change a lot of things. I'm not going to believe that till I see it. I went back yesterday, rewatched three games. He definitely looks like a guy who plays in the four fives. So I'm not going to believe that, but uh, he puts up a four seven or, you know, anything over four, six, it could shake some things up. Definitely. Okay. Um, yeah. I, people keep pounding Treadwell and I just, I'm not, I'm not quite there. I just, not that I don't think he's the best. I just don't, I just, yeah, I don't know. I, well, I'm a little, thing, go ahead. Well, the one thing with him though is, his production this year finally met what you're looking for in a top wide receiver, which was great. But the thing that helps him also, though, is, is I do know for a fact he, there was no refining his game this past offseason. He recovered from the brutal injury. Everything he did was rehab workouts. There was no, oh, let me spend an hour today on technique. Let me work on my get-off today. He had none of that. So now you've got to think healthy after a superior amount of production like it, last year like he put up. Obviously, you know, he should be working with some of the greatest people out there in the community. We should see a lot more refined product, hopefully, you know, in his rookie season. Do you have a comparison for Treadwell? Because I kind of see the Terrence Williams. It's, Treadwell is difficult. Like, I, I, I see some, maybe some Demarius Thomas-like things, like in the fact that you're not going to see the big circus catches. You know, you never really see him going up in, you know, three guys in traffic and yanking it down like an A.J. Green. Or, you know, some of these, you know, former top 10 wide receivers. 
but he also does some little little receiver things at his size, 6'2", 220, that you don't get from the A.J. Greens and the others. You know, he'll take a smoke route. He'll take a stop route. He'll turn it up. He'll take it 15, 17, 20 yards. He will block like a son of a gun. He, he absolutely – he will draw two to three personal fouls from defensive players in his rookie year because he will block you to the whistle and he will go all day at it. He's eventually going to get to the point where somebody's going to lose their cool with him and draw 15 yards. So I think it's a total aspect of Treadwell's game. Obviously some bold in comps maybe as well, obviously with the physicality and the build to him. You can see there. But he is, I think he's a lot more well-rounded than maybe he's getting credit for. You're just not getting that Odell moment and stuff like that, you know, that you're going to get, you're going to get traditionally from a top-10 guy. Yeah, and I, I do hear what you're saying about his blocking, but I also kind of feel that that's like if that's that's the most impressive thing just to me when I watch on film, but I feel like if he's as a as a fantasy guy I wanna see I wanna see a little bit more, you know, I wanna see the those high point red zone things where he's getting his toe toe tips in, you know, and whatnot. So Yep. Uh, um I do wanna say, just to give myself some credit, we talked about I talked about Carson Wentz on January third on this podcast. We did a little report on him, so we were and I was I was too too being a little cautious like you are with him and I and I do hear you on the level of competition. But um one thing when I watch film on him is I think what's important when you're watching somebody from that level of competition is are they the best player on the field? Is it that evident when you're watching him? And I and I totally think that is the case when you watch him. You, do you agree with that? Oh I I mean you can absolutely see in the confidence he plays with, you know, and obviously you know the offense he he was running was not too difficult and it, but it, it looked like it was that easy for him. You know, got the ball, made his read, and, and continuously hit. What you see of him is excellent. You know, I, he's still a first-round quarterback. I, I'm not taking that away from him. I still think him, Goff, and even probably Paxton Lynch all go top 15. You know, I, people want to get down on quarterbacks. Me, I'm more of a – look, this, in the NFL, we had a couple of teams this year start four different quarterbacks. Four. Everyone wants to say, oh, just wait till day two. Wait till day two. That's how you end up signing a guy off the street on Monday and starting him on Sunday. I, you know, if I need more than one quarterback, I at least want a guy who's got a future, not a guy who you know, I'm bringing him in for a week based on his past. You know, give me the young talent. <laughs> I, I, if you're starting four quarterbacks, you're about finding quarterbacks off the street, then don't tell me you can wait till day two to, to find a quarterback. You can't. You just can't. And Brandon Whedon started for two different teams, people. Uh, there you go. And, and honestly, if he hadn't gotten hurt, he should have started the playoff game for Houston. Yeah. Yeah, he should have. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, next question. Um, that was a long first question. Who's going to get drafted in round one but not live up to the hype? I'm hoping his stock is finally ri- is dropping to the point where he shouldn't be. But, you know, just to make sure, I went over and checked a couple today, and, and there's still people putting Jack, Con- Jack Conklin from Michigan State in the first round. I don't see it. I don't see a left tackle. There are left tackles in this draft. I, I wouldn't draft Conklin to play ta- left tackle. I'd maybe look at him as a left guard, maybe as a right tackle. I know he was injured a little bit this year, but I, I just don't see a guy I would draft round one and ex- expect that I'm going to get what I want to get out of him. Uh, he's slow off the line. He's slow in his back pedal. Tells me he's a top 31 selection, and he's going to be a bookend starting left tackle in the league for 10 years. 
because I'm drafting left tackle in the first round. That's what I'm expecting. I do not see anything this year from him. Uh, I just, it's a guy that baffles me that he's still getting uh, round one consideration. Uh, I think four to five tackles could go round one. Jason Spriggs out of Indiana, I would take seven days in a row before I would take him. He's still, Spriggs talk is still late in the twenties, but behind Conklin, which I don't get much better player in my opinion. Jack Conklin's a guy I would not touch round one with any confidence whatsoever. Okay, well, I hate to tell you who the Jets are drafting in my current mock right now in round one. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's, it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. And obviously, like I said, I trust Jeff's knowledge, so I will maybe take this under consideration. Um, most definitely. <laughs> um, Nick, Nick, any questions there? Well, you mentioned Conklin on offense. Are there any defenders that haven't fallen out of hotels that you're concerned about that are projected to go in round one? The defense, I think, is pretty solid. I, I think this defense, the, the defensive side of the ball in this draft is a lot deeper. So you're going to have – you'll have guys who have corners in the second round that may go first. You're going to have guys, if they prefer them, a second-round guy might – it's just, the, honestly, in the way you stack these guys up and the way you like them. Cornerback class seems pretty decent. This linebacker class is ridiculous. But the thing is going to be is, you know, how do you – you know, how is the position valued? I mean, ideally, you want one or two good linebackers, and then you want some role players because they're going to play special teams. They're going to do those things. Yeah, are you going to spend a round one round one pick on those guys? Darren Lee out of Ohio State looks good, but I mean, when you're talking about a linebacker, he is supposed to end the play. Whatever. I mean, most defensive schemes are drawn up for the linebacker to end the play. Now, him playing with all the talent he played with in Ohio State wasn't asked to do that enough. Where I'm going to have to say, oh yeah, I can I can put a round one on him. He very well may play capable of that. I'd be more comfortable in the second round. So, you know, that obviously, like I said, the corners are deep. The safeties are deep. There's pass rushers for days. There's a lot of good defensive talent that's not going to go round one just because they're just too deep. Yeah, there's like 12 defensive tackles that could probably go in the first two rounds, and they'll probably last till round four just because there's – going to become a need situation at certain points I think but um, what do you think about Leonard Floyd I I him along with uh, DeForest Buckner are two guys that I'm not sold on and every time I see a mock it's like they're higher than they were the last time what do you think about those two guys well uh, Buckner Buckner I'm okay with I think he'll find his way in the top 20 because I mean you know pure defensive end you know that is one of the biggest needs to fill in the NFL I mean he could go as high as Tampa if, you know, you know, he tests well and things of that nature. Floyd, I'm actually kind of with you on Leonard Floyd because I, I keep seeing his name come up a lot to the Jets at 20. And the problem I have with Leonard Floyd is, is he probably pays south of 230 pounds. And people with the, oh, well, you just put a little weight on him. He's 24 years old. If he hasn't learned to put on some muscle mass now or gain some weight by now, what makes us think he's ever going to do that? You know, and this isn't an age thing. It's just, well, then if, he could be bigger. He should be bigger. Uh, I, I think. I, mean, I honestly think I see him as maybe you know, a will linebacker, a pure linebacker. I, I don't know, and I necessarily see him as a pass rusher, a pure three, you know, three down pass rusher. I don't see that. So definitely not a guy I see in the first round. Leonard Floyd, and please no to my Jets at twenty. I know a lot of the big names in drafts still like him and are still putting him up there that high. I don't know if that's truly what they believe or what they're hearing. So they're doing a balancing act of both. For me, I don't see a top 32 player. No, not in Leonard Floyd. Yeah, definitely. I was 
had the pleasure to be on our mutual friend Bill Carroll's show uh, last month, and I asked him about Floyd, and he just kept saying, how are you going to draft a linebacker that weighs less than a lot of strong safeties in the NFL? That is Bill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, who are your top five players right now, regardless? Regardless um, of the position. I- yeah, I won't. Not necessarily in any particular order, but Laramie Tunsil out of Old Miss, the left tackle, uh, you know, bookend franchise guy, you know, should play 10 years. You know, there's maybe some talk about some issues with these three guys from Old Miss Tunsil, other than, you know, obviously the self proposed, you know, suspension for what went on over the summer. Um, you know, came back, fared well, dominated. Uh, I think Tennessee would be absolutely foolish not to just take him, put Lawan on the right side. I watched Tennessee play the Jets. Their offensive line was putrid. I've got a, I've got a franchise guy in Marcus Mariota. I've got to protect that, and I'll work on everything else from there. So I, I think he should be probably consensus best player, and Tennessee just makes the most sense. Look, I told you I'm always higher on quarterbacks than other guys. Jared Goff is my top guy. I think he's a top five guy. I, I think Cleveland should truly consider, you know, bringing him on. Joey Bosa at Ohio State just does everything so, so well. You know, we'll get to see a little bit more of him in the NFL, obviously, because they're not going to be able to double-team him every snap like most teams did in college. Jalen Ramsey, uh, right now people are kind of down a little bit on Ramsey. I tell you what, after his combine workout, the track star that he is, people are are just going to continue to gush about him. He can either be a free safety and possibly be a Hall of Famer, or he could be a veteran corner for five, six years, then go play safety like Charles Woodson did that route. Just phenomenal player, plays with intelligence, you know, Swiss Army knife type guy. You can put him in any position on the field, you know, in the back, in the secondary, and he can get it done. He blitzes, covers, just everything about him is special. And and Noah Spence, I think he has now gotten to the point where he's going to warrant consideration as a top five player. There are, yeah, like I said, the offensive tackle position is deep in this draft. So I think that's going to help more for a guy like Spence because you can say, oh, maybe I won't take a Ronnie Stanley here, but I can get a Decker, you know, a few picks later. So I would take, you know, so I'll take him here. So I think Noah Spence is probably going to maybe end up in serious consideration for top five in this draft. Okay. And your thoughts with Noah Spence going to the Jets? I mean, how many, how many defensive ends does that team need? I know, I know Wilkerson's a free agent, but uh, what, what, what got, the well, Jets do with Noah Spence? Oh, I, absolutely. I would just throw him in 3-4. I would just put him outside. 3-4, outside linebacker, it, it, it would be ridiculous. You have Malden, who had a nice rookie year, year last year, you know, finding his way. If they were to pair him, I mean, look, either way there's going to be an issue. Somewhere in the next year or two, either Mo Wilkerson's not going to be here or Sheldon Richardson's not going to be here. I think it's going to, you know, my personal opinion is, is I think the Jets would prefer to keep Mo Wilkerson and move away from Sheldon Richardson because he's brought, obviously, some issues and some off-field baggage to the team. And obviously they know Melk, know Mo, the community guy that he is, grew up 25 minutes from the stadium, willing to do any charity event he's asked to, always had a nothing but a stellar record off the field. I assume that's the way they want to go, whether or not they can make the money work and you know, the team is satisfied and Mo is satisfied. That's the tricky part. But I, I, I would guarantee that is the route the Jets would prefer to go. Okay. Nick, any, any thoughts about any of those guys? Uh, no, I real quick, though, wanted to ask, uh, I mean, Derrick Henry and Ezekiel Elliott are probably the two biggest names at running back. Are there any other uh, players at the position that you like? Um, I'm not as high on Henry as others are. 
I, one thing I question is, is his initial burst going to be fast enough to get to the hole in college, in, in the pros? If he runs a good, you know, a 10-yard split at the combine, my concerns will ease up some. I'll feel a lot better. Running back-wise, Alex Collins out of Arkansas, I'm a huge fan of. I think he very similar to Chris Ivory, but better speed, better open field vision. He's a guy I, I like a lot. Uh, you know, he may come off the field on passing situations because he's not the greatest uh, in pass pro right now. But I see a guy, you know, can easily handle the 20-carry-a-game 20, 20 workload. Um, so definitely a guy I'm really high on. I'll probably be doing my number two back. Ezekiel Elliott, he's basically best in show here. Uh, he could go top 10. He could go anywhere, you know, from top 10 to top 20. It's just whoever wants him because it's him. And then, you know, that'll be a Thursday night pick. And then Friday night, we can start talking about some other running backs again. But he'll be the only one to have his name called that first night. Um, and, and what do you think about speaking of, since we're in the running background, uh, Kenneth Dixon, any, any thoughts on Dixon? Dixon's a guy I think we're going to see, going to need to see some time speed on. I like what I see. I like the fact that he can line up all over the field to give you some wide outlooks. Obviously, you know, great, obviously receiver of the ball runs well, you know, obviously some good movement in space in the linebackers always seems to get himself two, three more yards. Question with him though, I think is going to be time speed. He's going to need to be uh, south of four, six. Some people are concerned it's going to be four, six or a little higher. So that would be, you know, that's going to create a concern on a guy who's, he's not the tallest, but he has a solid frame on him. But he's an interesting guy, Dixon. You know, the time speed's going to come down to whether or not he's part of a running back by committee or someone's going to feel, you know, they can use him, you know, 14, 18 touches a game. Yeah, I I really like I really like Dixon, so it's gonna be hard to kind oh, of talk. Oh, his to. tape his tape is ridiculous. It is so fun to watch, but you know I do have the concerns of the time speed. I wonder if it's going to be a big concern. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> since we're still sticking here with the running backs, Jeff. Um, <laughs> thanks for stopping by again. We appreciate it, Jeff Lloyd. Of course, guys. Hi, Lon. Here we're talking with. Um, you know, the fastest combine speed, pretty sure, last year for running backs, Langford, and that was a hell of a running back class, um, and I think it was 4-4, four, four, something like that. But besides that, there wasn't a lot of impressive ones. I'm, I'm interested, why, why do you think that's why do you think that's kind of a big thing now, and why, why do you keep referencing the speed thing with the RBs? Obviously, you know, if it's five flat, we're, gonna, we're not going to be talking about running backs. So what, is that, I just, maybe I'm thinking maybe it's not as important anymore. It's not it's not essentially so much the actual 40 time as it is the 10-yard split. And part of it is, is, look, we're in an era with some ridiculously talented defensive players. Guys like J.J. Watt with the amazing size, athletic ability, and quickness that they have. These guys are going to blow up a running play in three-quarters of a second. So while your initial burst and your 10-yard split, that's why it's so important. Uh, you've got to make sure that these guys are not nailing you for a four-yard loss. No offensive coordinator in the world has the page where they go, okay, second and 14, here's what I want to run. So that, that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest worry and concern you have about it is you don't want these plays getting blown up so quickly. Look, you understand that these guys, you know, Watts and these guys, and you Fletcher Cox out of Philadelphia, they're going to blow some plays up. But you want your guy at least to be after to say, Oof, well, maybe we, only, maybe we got a yard as opposed to losing three. And that's where the initial quickness is going to come in. And that's where the concern I have with Henry, because you go back, you do watch. I mean, the games where he's had 40 carries, 
you'll see two, three, minus three, minus four-yard runs. And it, it just it puts your offense in a big, big hole, and it allows these guys, the Watts and all the pass rushers of the league, now they're pinning their ears back, and now they're going for your quarterback. A lot easier to get to your quarterback than it is to get to your running back. And I think you finally are starting to make sense on the Derrick Henry front for me with that, too, because like you said with that initial burst, people want to say, well, Derrick Henry's the player that's going to run between the tackles in the NFL. He's He's got that toughness. He's got that size. But guess what? There's this guy named Aaron Donald who's going to be in your face. <laughs> like, right away. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, and now, and now look, he played at Alabama. All the Aaron Donalds in college football pretty much are at Alabama. They're not really scattered all over the nation at other schools. I mean, he's playing with all the five-star kids in the nation. So now it's going to be, well, let's see what happens when you're playing games against guys who are just as talented as you. Look, he gets loose two yards past the line of scrimmage. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, watch out. You're going to kill people. You know, I mean, he's going to be one of those guys where we're going to hear, oh, why are people going at his knees? Well, with guys like him and Rob Gronkowski, where else are you going to go? If you go high on him, you're like a bug on a windshield. You're dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Henry also plays with five-star offensive linemen, too. So that's, that's another, another argument. Maybe Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, but it's, it's tough to consider. And that's what makes, you know, when you get these Alabama guys, guys from the major schools, it's what makes them a little bit of a tougher eval because, you know, now they're out on their own. You know, when, you, when it was a whole team of five stars, that's great. But, you know, not everybody is as talent-rich talent, talent rich in the NFL as you get, example, with Alabama. I mean, look, everybody in the NFL is good. Everybody. So, you know, that's how you see it. It's, you know, and he's, he's going to have to learn a little bit and do some things a little bit differently. We'll see how it goes. I could be wrong, and his time speed could work out to be okay. But, you know, for now, it is some concerns I have. I mean, with a guy that big, you know, can he get to the hole before it closes? Very good point. Um, is there a day three skill position guy that's going to surprise us all? I, the only reason I'm going to call him a surprise is probably because he's going to get drafted a lot lower than he should because of his off field. Roger Lewis, wide receiver out of Bowling Green, phenomenal numbers, six, almost six foot two, almost 200 pounds. He probably deserves consideration to be mentioned in the top six, seven wide receivers in this class. Uh, had a bad incident, uh, you know, pre-college. Everything seems to be put behind him. Uh, Jeff Risden, one of my favorite guys in the draft community, he is a big Mac follower. He's seen him play up live. He's vouched for him. And he's had to talk to a lot of people in the know who said that, you know, everything Roger Lewis was three and a half years ago, he no longer is. So there's a guy, if you're looking and, you know, you want to steal somebody late, you know, in a dynasty draft or whatever, Roger Lewis, Bowling Green, as long as he keeps his head on straight, you know, interviews well, this guy should have a bright, bright future on Sundays. Or should I say Sunday nights, Mondays, Thursdays, because that's the way it is now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Nick, any questions there? Um, just wondering, do you see uh, with the extra scrutiny now on off-the-field issues in the NFL, do you think these guys are going to continue to drop even farther than they have in recent years in the draft? It's 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 a difficult thing. I mean, now you look at you know what Dallas did last year. Everybody in the world knew what Greg Hardy did and was an absolute piece of garbage. And you know what? Jerry Jones went and did it anyway. Me, personally, I understand what these guys' jobs are. And, look, I can kind of understand Jerry's thinking. Look, Dallas, 
should have been a Super Bowl contender last year. Tony Romo went down. They had nothing after that. He came back, went down again. So it, it could have worked out. And I can understand in that scenario where you would maybe bring in the hired gun. It, it's, it, it's, it, basically what it's looking out is if you think a guy is turd, he's going to stay a turd. Johnny Manziel was a guy who couldn't stop partying. And here we are now, two years later, and it's still the same story. Johnny Manziel would rather party than, you know, being a quarterback in the NFL, you get one night off a week. One. That's all you get. That's the rule. You get the money. You get the endorsements. You get the girls. You get all the good stuff that goes along with it. But you only get one night off. You're the leader of this team, and you just don't want to do it. And also now with social media and this stuff, you get caught doing something. Everybody, I mean, you did it at 11 o'clock at night. Everybody knows that they're pouring their morning coffee the next day. So, yes, it's going to drop them. And now you look at what the Combine did. If, you, uh, if you're convicted of a felony, you're no longer welcome at the NFL Combine, which is going to hurt your chance to interview with teams. I think, I think maybe it was a good part on the league for stepping up, which, you know, look, they hear a lot to blame here too because they let a lot of this stuff go on. But maybe we're all starting to get together and maybe starting to realize, hey, maybe we need to be a little bit better with this because it's not great when you got $60 million invested in a guy, a, a, a town, a community, children are invested in a guy, and then the guy turns out to be just basically a terrible human being. So they're going to have to get stricter on it. Let's hope we're finally getting in that direction. You know, I guess that's all we can do at this point. Yeah, yeah, very very good point there. Um, I didn't hadn't heard that about the combine. That's uh, yeah, yeah, it actually very, just came out. Yeah. It just came out in the last passing days. Um, Earl Clark, who got in trouble last year at Michigan, he didn't go to the combine, but he would not starting in seventeen. He would have been one who was not allowed to go. If you were convicted in any way, regardless of what the you know, if you were convicted of any felony, that is it. You were no longer NFL combine welcome. I have to assume uh, Phil Savage down at the Senior Bowl is probably going to go right along in line with that. So it's a small step in, you know, hopefully trying to clean the league up a little bit. <laughs> um, one more one more defensive guy I just want to throw in here before we let you go. It's just because I haven't heard a whole lot about him, and I just kind of kind of started reading and studying him. Um, DeAndre Houston Carson, William & Mary, listed as a free safety. Looks like he's got the closing speed to, to stay there in the NFL. What do you think about him? He's not a guy I've heard much about, but I've heard a lot of people tell me, you know, don't be exactly shocked if he doesn't make the top 20. I think what's going to hurt a young man like him coming out of William and Mary is again, the competition factor. I think the safety class and the defensive back class on a whole is really solid this year. So I, I, you know, I, you know, weathered expectations, what I've seen of him, I like, I, I love a surefire tackling safety. And that is what he is. If he's in the area, the play is over. I just think he's he's behind a lot of better players who come with you know a lot of better resume and a lot of better you know competition they played against and fared well, but uh, yeah there are some you know smaller school backs uh, defensive backs and as everyone has always said it's one of the easiest positions to translate to from college to pro because it, you know, not too much changes I mean the routes are all the same it's just you know the you know it's not the X's and the O's it's the Willies and the Joes. <laughs> uh. And we'll leave it at that. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Jeff. We appreciate it. And, um, I feel like we could talk for hours, but uh, maybe we'll have to have you come back 
prior to the uh, 78 days, and I and I love the fact that you're counting it down uh, before the NFL draft. So thank you, for, Josh, for joining us. No problem, Nick, Josh. You guys have yourself a great day. Uh, yeah, anytime, man. Just hit me up, bro. <clears throat> All right, definitely. It's Jeff Lloyd inside the pylon. If you click on his name on this podcast right up, you can go right to his Twitter page, give him a follow, and uh, bother him. So take care, Absolutely. Jeff. Absolutely. Take care, guys. All right. Awesome stuff. Um, we do understand not necessarily all fantasy-related, but, uh, you know, offensive tackles and and whatnot do affect your uh, your uh, your real-life NFL teams and could affect your fantasy running backs and quarterbacks, obviously, too. So, um some good, some good defensive guys to talk about too. We'll see if they become huge IDP contributors, depending on if you're uh, full or just partial IDP leagues. I think, I think Spence is the guy that's going to probably get nabbed very early on. I do think Reggie Ragland and probably um, Miles Jack or Jalen Smith probably be the the top IDP option going into rookie drafts. So we'll we'll look at that more, and I'm sure we'll have a separate IDP podcast. We get a little bit closer to the draft and whatnot. So, um, but it's time for plant your flag or wash your hands. And I promise only two of these guys that I only two of these guys are that I own there, Nick. But, uh, what do you think about Charles Johnson? What are we to do with Mr. Charles Johnson in the Vikings? Well, he played in 11 games, had four starts this season, and caught nine passes. That's in his third season. He couldn't beat out Mike Wallace. There's no reason he should be in a fantasy roster to open 2016. Teddy Bridgewater's style limits all his receivers' potential. And I think, really, if we were going to see Charles Johnson break out, it would have been in 2015. So I would wash my hands. Yeah, you know, injuries caught up to him, and then Stefan Diggs got got inserted into the lineup and that really never made anybody think about Charles Johnson again. And uh, wouldn't be su- totally surprised if uh, he's released here by the Vikings. Uh, we've seen some of that, some of that already happened. Uh, some veteran safeties being released. Uh, um, geez, I can't think of the guy's name in Tennessee. Was it Mike Adams? Was it Adams? No. William, William Moore in Atlanta. Uh, after, Michael Griffin? Michael Griffin, yes, Michael Griffin. Mike Adams is the Colts. He has not been released. Michael Griffin, of course, in Tennessee. Um, John Beeson by the Giants, more than likely going to retire. They also let a couple offensive linemen go. Uh, William Moore and um, Jason Durant down there in Atlanta, too. So some huge veteran names that are going to be uh, out there looking for jobs. Um, What do we think about uh, Andre Ellington? What am I supposed to do with Andre Ellington besides – pick on the David Johnson owner for what a fifth round pick? What do you got what do you got for me? <laughs> well I'm tentatively planting my flag. I'm assuming Arizona doesn't bring Chris Johnson back. If they do I'd probably wash my hands of Ellington. But you know if Arizona was to use Andre Ellington in a Danny Woodhead type of role behind David Johnson, I think he could have some nice PPR value, especially considering how cheap cheap you can probably get him right now. Well we'll talk about that after the podcast because I'm willing to let him go for really cheap. But anyway Ah, uh, I gosh, Danny Woodhead. Yes, please. He bank him the next Danny Woodhead. I would, I would love that. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It, like you said, if they bring Chris Johnson back, he's definitely a, a wash your hands. Plant, plant your flag though, because he is still 
more than likely going to be a backup to uh, a legit running back, so he's going to have hold value there, especially to those David Johnson owners. Um, Trey Mason, speaking of backing up a legit running back, Trey Mason, Los Angeles Rams. What do you think, Nick? Well, I think he should be rostered in most leagues, and if I were a Gurley owner, I would definitely try like heck to get him. If uh, Todd Gurley were to get hurt, Trey Mason's the guy who is good enough to be a lead back. Many teams go running back by committee if their starter gets hurt. I don't think that would happen in L.A. I think I would definitely try to plant my flag, especially if I had Todd Gurley already. Well, we talked about the running back class a little bit earlier, and and I do think there's some talents, definitely some guys that are going to contribute out there, but I also don't think it's as good a class as it was last year. And I just don't. And, and as a whole, it's not going to be historically one of these awesome classes. So I just wonder if a team would even consider trying to trade for Trey Mason. He's young. We've seen flashes. If he could step into, you know, maybe a similar offensive scheme. I don't know who's going to do, who's going to do that. But if he's going to step into the same offensive scheme, I think he could certainly be a talent, a talent there. And like you said, with with Gurley being the rock awesome player that he is, his backup's certainly going to hold value. Um, Don Terry Poe, what do we think about Mr. Don Terry Poe there for the Kansas City Chiefs defensive tackle? Kind of lost his job to Jay Howard for a little bit of a year. Um, obviously, this is uh, for full IDP guys, but so, you know, he's a guy that I, I love a lot, and I really watched him grow and be a great player, but he kind of took a step back last year. What do you think about Mr. Poe? Well, his tackles have declined each of the last two years. He only had one sack last year. Uh, like you said, he only has value in defensive tackle required leagues, but he's only going to be 26 this year. He went to the Pro Bowl in 2013 and 2014, so we know he has talent. If you can get him cheap, I say go for it, but don't pay for his 2014 numbers when he had six sacks. You know, We just don't know if we're going to ever see that again from him. Yeah, yeah, and especially with uh, the, uh, the emergence of Jay Howard, too, I think they're going to certainly keep both of those guys on the field which limits both of their value there but uh, yeah I mean Paul looked to be a, a force there but it's kind of hard for those those big guys inside to sustain that for, for you know several years unfortunately um, so we're going to have a lot more of those going on here before the draft and obviously the the, the scheme and the, the thoughts behind them will change uh, but we're going to have a lot more of those for you so um, what do we think about the best number of 31 in NFL history there, Nick? Well, we'll start with uh, William Andrews. He's a running back for Atlanta, four-time Pro Bowler from 1980 to 1983, rushed for 1,500 yards in 1983, and he was also a pretty good pass catcher, had 81 catches in 1981, uh, over 2,000 combined yards that year. Uh, Roy Williams went to five straight Pro Bowls in the middle 2000s playing for safety for the Dallas Cowboys. He was one of the hardest hitters in the game at that time. Cam Chancellor's still writing his story, as is Antonio Cromartie, as well as Cortland Finnegan. Uh, Frank Minifield went to four straight Pro Bowls as a corner for the Cleveland Browns, who made the playoffs five years during his time there. Now, when you think of Chicago linebackers, Joe Fortunato is probably not the first name you think of, but the seventh-round pick of the 1952 draft made five Pro Bowls, three-time All-Pro, never played in fewer than 12 games every season from 1955 all the way through 1966. Despite topping 1,000 yards seven times and uh, one more season over 900 yards, Jamal Lewis' only Pro Bowl appearance came in his 2,000-yard season in 2003. Uh, Lewis was also uh, he, he also won a Super Bowl as a rookie in uh, 2000 with Baltimore. 
Priest Holmes was actually also on that Super Bowl winning team before moving to Kansas City and becoming a fantasy darling. 1,500 yards in 2001, 1,600 yards and 21 touchdowns in 2002, and then 27 touchdowns in 2003. Of course, he went to the Pro Bowl each of those three years. In Pittsburgh, Donnie Schell was one of the last remaining pieces of the four-time Super Bowl winning Steelers squad when he retired after the 1987 campaign. He went to five straight Pro Bowls from 1978 through 82, had 51 interceptions, kind of a somewhat overlooked player on a great team. Now, we've looked pretty darn good football players, but none of them hold a place in football lore near running back Jim Taylor from the 1960s Green Bay Packer teams. He's a four-time league champion, a five-time pro bowler, led the NFL in rushing in 1962 with 1,474 yards, led the league in touchdowns in 1961 with 15, and in 1962 with 19 scores and was 1962 NFL MVP, five straight Pro Bowls from 1960 to 1964, and was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1976. Jim Taylor's got to be the best number 31 of all time, right? Yeah, it's it's close. Uh, five straight 1,000-yard seasons there for Taylor, 8,500 career yards, almost 8,600 career yards, uh, 86 touchdowns. Yeah, just a... And current, technically listed as a fullback, so obviously the game was a, a different game back then. Um, but doing lists like this, it's fun because it reminds me of players that I used to like or players that like just remind me of my childhood, obviously. But it also gets me informed to like guys like like William Anders, who you already talked about, uh, over 1,000 yards in four of his six seasons. Um, had two years actually where he was over 2,000 yards. 81, he had 1,300 yards rushing, 10 touchdowns, and 81 receptions, 735 more yards in 1981. Uh, and then an 83, 1,500 yards on the ground, 600 through the air with 59 receptions, 11 total touchdowns. That's 343 points, uh, which reminds me of what I fantasy, PPR fantasy points, which reminds me, I forget keep forgetting to mention that when we did our all-time fantasy draft a few weeks ago. Nick did beat me by about 120 points. But anyway, just, just so we know, Nick won. That was awesome. And I, I kind of screwed it up. But anyway, another player that I get to talk about is a guy that I never knew a whole lot about. Or excuse me, a, a guy that I – but I had a jersey of his. When I, when I was a young kid, I thought it would be really cool to get a jersey from every NFL team. Obviously, as I became older, it was evident that I just had to wear Oakland Raiders stuff. But at one point, I think I did have 12 different jerseys of NFL. And my Philadelphia Eagles jersey was a Wilbert Montgomery jersey. Uh, three seasons over 20, oh, over 1,200 yards. Career average of 4.4 yards per attempt. Um, an interesting stat from him in 1984, as we talk about how the game has changed for the, throughout the year, 60 receptions out of out of the backfield there. So not a, and at age 30, 1984, he had 60 receptions. So I thought that was an interesting footnote to his career. Um, Johnny Shell definitely deserves to be mentioned. Five-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, 51 career interceptions. That's like top 30 all-time. Why is this guy not in the Hall of Fame? That that's that seems a little a little dis of disbelief to me. Um, Priest Holmes, 4,000-yard seasons, 94 career touchdowns, back-to-back seasons of 21 and 27 touchdowns. That's what Nick meant by fantasy darling. Uh, uh, but. You know, those are those are the guys that we we talked about from yesteryear, he should say. But uh, let's not forget that uh, the Arizona Cardinals running back David Johnson currently wears the number thirty-one. So he might might not be considered the best active right now, but he could uh, potentially be uh, the best 
down the line. So I just want to throw that out there, David Johnson. Uh, but, yeah, definitely Jim Taylor, best number 31, just because of the success of that, what that team was able to do under under him listed as their fullback and just, just tearing up yardage. So each um, and every week we do something that we call Dynasty Dilemma. That's where we uh, pit two players against each other. We've got a couple tight ends today, so we'll do this short clip, and then we'll get going here. Okay, Tyler Eifert versus Travis Kelsey. I had the option to choose, so I chose uh, Mr. Eifert. This is also the time where I remind people what we're doing next week. And I haven't even told Nick yet, but... uh, Next week, we are as we talk about the AFC West, um, we are going to do a couple of them, Nick. We're going to do Von Miller uh, versus what everybody else. Uh, no, Von Miller versus Justin Houston. Um, and um, the, excuse me, Demarius Thomas versus Emmanuel Sanders. So we're going to stick with the AFC West theme and do two different ones next week. Um, but Tyler Eifert finally burst onto the scene. Um, last year, 2015, with 13 receiving touchdowns. The fantasy world and his supporters were blushing with disbelief, all while constantly reminding people that they recommended recommended him as a hidden gem this, this past season. Sadly, now the dynasty community is climbing all over the six foot six, two hundred and fifty pound red zone nightmare. Uh, last year, he could be had in the, the 11th round in some dynasty startups conducted here by DFW, could be had in the 11th round behind guys like Max Williams, Eric Ebron, and Jordan Cameron. Now Eifert is a late fourth rounder in early startups. It appears his red zone prowess combined with A.J. Green's eliteness have people believing Eifert in Eifert over Kelsey. We all know the tight end can be a very erratic position, yet Kelsey has put up some respectable numbers with 67 receptions and 72 receptions and over 860 yards in each of the last two seasons. He's even averaged 12.5 yards per reception in his career. But with just 10 touchdowns over two seasons, it just doesn't, he just doesn't appear sexy enough to me. And that's why I chose Eifert over Kelsey. Now the big question surrounding Eifert is his health. He says he's already missed 19 games in his three-year career. Granted, 15 of those games were in one season. And yes, Eifert suffered a vicious concussion this season, but he came back strong and filled his role. Yet how soon we forget that Kelsey also lost the season due to a nasty knee injury. He also played through groin and quad injuries that required him to be listed on the injury report much of the second half of the 2015 season. Kelsey, who many liked better better than Jimmy Graham last offseason, has a current ADP of 6.05, or a round and a half later than Eifert. Basically, Kelsey basically did the same from 2014 to 2015. But I thought with the addition of Jeremy Macklin that Kelsey would improve, especially in the touchdown department. He did not. He just did the same, which is not bad, but it just didn't show much improvement. Eifert has a lot to live up to, and I don't expect him to score 13 touchdowns next season. But I do expect more receptions than his 52 in 2015. Therefore, his value will hold true if he does get more receptions there. Nick, what do you got for us and Mr. Travis Kelsey? 
Well, everybody acts like Kelsey was terrible this year, even though he had a career high in receptions and yards, 72 catches for 875 yards and five scores, and a Pro Bowl appearance. And while they talk about how Kelsey was such a bust, people heap praise on Tyler Eifert, who had 20 fewer catches and over 200 fewer yards, uh, 52 catches, 615 yards. Yes, he has the 13 touchdowns, but pass catchers' touchdowns are a harder thing to predict than usage. Tyler Eifert only had two more targets than Travis Kelsey had catches. Uh, We've asked a number of guests uh, on the show about Doug Baldwin. They've pretty much all said so high on him that the touchdowns were unlikely to repeat, and that's kind of how I feel about Eifert. Uh, They're both similar size, Eifert 6'6", 250, Kelsey 6'5", 255. Uh, But, you know, Eifert did miss basically all of 2014 with an injury. It's too early to call him injury prone, but he has missed more games than Kelsey has. And while Eifert does play in a more high-powered offense, he also has more competition for targets. Jeremy Macklin is good, but A.J. Green is better, plus uh, Jeremy Hill, Giovanni Bernard catching passes out of the backfield, Marvin Jones and Mohamed Sanu, if they're brought back, there's just more mouths to feed there in Cincy. Uh, I feel like the expectations for Kelsey were so high going into 2015 that the pendulum may have swung too far in the opposite direction, making him a possible buy-low candidate, whereas Eifert is likely going to be ranked in the top three tight ends. With so many talented young tight ends out there, uh, Ertz, Kelsey, Ebron, Jordan Reed, I'm just not willing to pay Eifert's asking price when others could be had cheaper and offer similar production. Uh, very true. Our our buddy uh, Justin Barlow over at the ffcouchcoach.com dot uh, com gave me the early ADPs there, and uh, he said uh, in one of the drafts Gronk was the only tight end that went in front of Eifert, and and the other one it was Gronk and Jordan Reed that went in front of Eifert. So I really know I know I'm not helping my cause here <laughs> by saying that, but uh, uh, but I I do hear your argument there in uh, ADP. And there was a point in time when I was doing my research that I wish I would have chosen Kelsey over Eifert. But I, I, I stuck to my guns, and I, and I do just think, and I hear what you're saying about the more mouths to feed in Cincinnati, but I just think it's a better passing offense that he's going to be involved in. And he certainly blossomed into the number one red zone target there. And the, the, the things that I was impressed, I had the opportunity and – I found the entire Cincinnati Seattle game this year watching Kelsey just deceive their defense a couple times for touchdowns. Like I, and I, maybe it was blown coverage, but you think you thought that maybe he's one of either Cam Chancellor or, or uh, Earl Thomas would jump up on him, but he, he it just, he becomes a tight end at the beginning of a play, but he looks like a wide receiver and he's a six foot six, uh, juggernaut in the red zone, and he just—I don't know—he's he, doing a lot more stylistically than I think people give him credit for. He's a very smooth receiver. Um, Kelsey, on the other hand, if this competition was about dancing, would probably win hands down. So, <laughs> any other thoughts there, Nick? Um, just that they're both good players. I mean, you can't go wrong having either player on your team, but I, I just think there's a little more value to Kelsey right now. Yeah, and according to our boys over at the uh, fantasydata.com, Eifert was tight end number six last year, Kelsey was number seven. So we are splitting hairs, but that's that's fun to do. That's why we do it. <laughs> um, you'd be honored to have either one of these guys, basically what we're saying. Let's get to some dynasty trade analysis. Um, these ones I pulled off of Twitter. Um, I don't know why I said it like that, but there's no going back now. Um, 
them. So uh, actually, and one of them did come from DFW 36. So I'll tell you that before it happens. It's time for Dynasty Trade Analysis. You don't really have to stand up for this entire segment, but if you want to, we would recommend it because it's not like we're going to keep you on the edge of your seat. Um, I'm metaphoring my way into nonsense. But anyway, Duke Johnson, Nick. Duke Johnson, Nelson Aguilar, 4.05 and 5.07 for Buck Allen, Justin Forsett, Philip Dorsett, and pick 3.05. Did you get all that? <laughs> Yeah, and I think I, I'm going to have to side with the, uh, the side that picked up the two Ravens running backs, Buck Allen and Justin Forsett. Um, I think, you know, Forsett's probably going to be a safe play as long as he's healthy, and if not, then Buck Allen obviously would be the guy to plug in there. I would prefer Philip Dorsett to Nelson Aguilar. I would have gone the opposite direction right after the draft. I was really high on Aguilar, and he let me down. Um uh, and plus, you're moving up from the fourth and fifth into the third round. So yeah, I, I have to sign with the guys. That, the guy that picks up Buck Allen, Justin Forsett, Dorsett in the third. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and one thing that we do here so well, and Alan Satterley does it with the trading places articles and some other other things as we look at the coaching changes. That's one thing that you have to look at with uh, with uh, Duke Johnson and Aguilar. Is you know, obviously they're going to be. Not, not only are they going to have new head coaches, they're probably going to have new offensive coordinators, new schemes to learn, and that's going to you know maybe stunt their growth for a year or two. Um, I still believe in both of those guys, Aguilar and Duke Johnson, but I, I, I got to side with Nick here. Uh, you're getting the the running back tandem in Baltimore. You know, unless we see I don't, unless we see an awesome things preseason from Lorenzo Telefero, I don't think. I don't think we're going to see, you know, it's going to be either Allen or Forsett lead this team in rushing this year. Um, Dorsett does have a great quarterback and an offensive offense that he spent a year in already. Um, and you're getting a higher pick. So, you know, the fifth round pick gets thrown around a lot, but usually it's not uh, not anything to write home about who's getting the fifth. Unless, of course, you got Stefan Diggs last year. That wasn't me, but uh, I, know, I know some people did. Uh, Sammy Watkins and Deshaun Jackson for Brandon Cooks, Eric Ebron, and Devontae Adams. What do you think there, Nick? Uh, to me, this one's not really even close. Uh, I got to side with the person who picked up Sammy Watkins and Deshaun Jackson. Uh, you look at Devontae Adams, we saw him this year have a golden opportunity and not do a whole lot with it in Green Bay. Eric Ebron has talent, but we haven't seen it yet. And Brandon Cooks is good, but I don't think he's Sammy Watkins good. Plus, we don't know how good he'll be after Drew Brees retires. So, Sammy Watkins proven he can produce no matter who the quarterback is. And Deshaun Jackson is a nice piece on top of that. So, yeah, I, I would side with Watkins, even if they didn't get Deshaun Jackson to go along with Watkins. Oh, okay. Well, I'm actually going to go the other way. I, I, I know you're giving up Sammy, but I don't think – I'm not sure what Deshaun has left in the tank. I, I know he's only 29, but uh, I just – you worry about him and the, some of the choices that he makes, uh, you know, even on the field. Just, he seems to have that prima, prima donna tag to him. And you're getting Cooks, 
who I, I think could really work with in just about any any quarterback. I think he's just a nice checkdown option. Obviously, the jury's out on Devontae Adams. I don't love him, but you know you're giving up Deshaun Jackson. You're getting a little bit younger, um, especially if Adams stays in Green Bay. Who knows what can happen? Maybe they can iron some things out. And Eric Ebron, during my tight end research, I did see finished as tight end number thirteen, which doesn't you know. Wow, a lot of people. But he did miss three games in the middle of the season, people, and he still finishes the 13th best tight end. So that should be something to take into consideration. And they still have their own offensive coordinator, old offensive coordinator, well, their new one, I guess, and Jim Bob Cooter. They didn't uh, out him, but they at least to have the offseason, and he kind of knows what's going on with that system anyway. So, um, And it's year three for Ebron next year. So you know me, Nick. I can't give up on my boy. Uh, what do we think – about this last one, speaking of tight ends, um, Jimmy Graham, Heath Miller, and a 2016 fifth for Jordan Reed and Antonio Gates. Well, I, I understand wanting to trade away Jordan Reed because of the injury uh, risk. You know, he's been digged up a lot over his career. But I still have to side with the, uh, the team that picked up Jordan Reed and Antonio Gates. Jimmy Graham, we just... He, he's not a good fit in that Seattle offense. I don't think as long as, long as he's there, he's not going to provide a lot of value. I don't think. Um, Heath Miller and Antonio Gates, those guys basically uh, they have to wash. Those two cancel each other out. So, I you know we know that Jordan Reed, as long as he's healthy, is going to probably is going to continue to produce in Washington. So I have to side with with Jordan Reed. Yeah, this is you know you see some big names in there, but it's just not an exciting trade. Um, I hear what you're saying, but maybe, you know, maybe Graham can flex some of that red zone muscle that got him, you know, the prowess that he was that, you know, caused people like me to draft him in the first round of Dynasty Startups three years ago. Um, Reed, he, obviously they're going to retain Cousins, um, and he, he certainly has the nice rapport with Cousins. So, yeah, it's I I feel like, you know, I don't know. You're giving a, I feel like Reed and Graham could actually have similar years if they both stay healthy. So, um, and, and I think if Gates is healthy all year, he's going to outperform Heath Miller in that fifth round pick. So I, I actually feel like it's a pretty, pretty even trade, but I think I'll go with the, the, the Reed Gates side with you there just because you're getting a little bit, a little bit younger at the position, but I, I still don't think, uh, you know, Jimmy Graham's going to just fall out of obscurity. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get back in the top five consideration, even if it's number five, but consideration, uh, next year, he's certainly going to be, uh, a, a, a guy that's going to fall in, in, in a lot of startups. And I think you can take advantage of that, that ADP. Cause I think Seattle will figure out some things to use him. And I think, the rise of Baldwin and Tyler Lockett this year after he left is going to maybe help him see some, see some small, some single coverage here and there and some, maybe some better, better red zone looks there. And of course, you know, Thomas Rawls is just going to be a freight train this year now that Mark Sean's out of his way. So he's stepping into a, to a decent offense and an offense that really matured passing wise, even if it was without him after he left. So, We'll see. We'll see what happens there with that one. That'd be a good one for trade reflections, maybe next time, sometime this next year. Uh, what do we think about? Uh, we got some prospect profiles. So I gave Nick Ezekiel Elliott to study. Obviously, Elliott's a guy that a lot of people know a lot about, and I've 
certainly voiced some opinions about him here and there on the site and on the podcast. But we'll see what uh, Nick's got for us on Mr. Ezekiel Elliott. Well, like you said, most people are already familiar with Ohio State running back Ezekiel Elliott, six foot, uh, uh, 225 pounds. How highly regarded is he? Well, WalterFootball.com compares him to Le'Veon Bell, and in their scouting report lists over 30 strengths and only one weakness, and that's that he has good but not elite speed. And, you know, that sounds great to me. That's like a quarterback who does everything right but only has a strong arm and not a cannon for an arm. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. You know, top-end speed is not the great, the most important thing for a running back. Ohio State rode him to a national championship in 2014, 36 carries, 246 yards, and four scores in the title game, at over 1,800 yards in both 2014 and 2015. But college numbers can be misleading. We saw Melvin Gordon and Monty Ball put up big numbers in that conference and failed to do the same as professionals. But Elliott is far more polished than they were. It's very rare to see a running back who is not yet even 21 years old show pass-blocking ability like Elliott possesses. Plus, he caught over 50 balls over the last two seasons at Ohio State. So for fantasy purposes, he could wind up being one of the rare every-down backs. Depending on where he lands, he could end up being a top-ten running back right out of the gates as a rookie. Elliott is a very powerful runner. He's hard to bring down and falls forward when he does go down, getting everything he can out of each carry. I mentioned his top speed is not the greatest, but, you know, running backs don't run in a straight line very often. So if he goes to the combine and runs a 4.48 or a 4.52, 40, and owners in your league drop him down because of that, don't follow that trend. He's probably one of the safest rookie picks for quite a while. You know, of course, Todd Gurley was great as a rookie, but with the injury history, he was anything but safe. So, you know, if you're lucky enough to land Elliott, I think you can probably pencil him in as a starter in fantasy leagues for years to come. Um. So do you see... People people want to put Treadwell at the top of rookie drafts. That's kind of a trend I'm seeing right now within the DFW community and a little bit outside. Do you think um, do you think he's number two? Yeah, I don't see any reason why there wouldn't be, unless you were just super desperate in another position. Sure, and I gotta keep banging on Treadwell because if I if I can get Elliot at two, I'm thinking I'm thinking he's probably gonna take over the number one spot. Now, one thing, and I think it's maybe a little bit of the same type of thing with uh, Alabama and Henry. The guy's playing with awesome players all on his team, Nick. But I also feel like I see some of the game film that I watched, and maybe maybe this was, you know, and this wasn't towards the end of last year. This is the film that I watched on him, like, back in November um, when I was doing my first mock draft. I feel like he runs from contact just a little bit, and especially when they're playing – like an inferior opponent, like a, you know, a Western Michigan or, a, or that, you know, whatever directional Michigan school they're playing. I just feel like he, he runs and avoids from contact. Did you see any of that on film? Uh, a little bit, but I think that's probably pretty common in college running backs, especially going up against inferior opponents. Like you said, when you can get away with running, doing that to hit the corner. Uh, but, you know, he's big enough where I think he'll be able to uh, transition the game into the NFL and not do that so much. Okay. Um, sorry, it is my turn for a prospect profile, and I got Jeff Driscoll, uh, quarterback, Louisiana Tech. We have the, Louisiana Tech actually has three prospects that you all need to know about this year. That's Driscoll being one of them, Kenneth Dixon, we've talked about multiple times on the show. Amazing. And they also have a defensive tackle by the name of Vern Butler, who's who's probably going to surprise some people where he goes in drafts. My prediction there. But Driscoll, a uh, little bit of a project. 
I believe he could benefit from a redshirt rookie season with teams like the Cardinals or the Jets. Uh, why does he need this? Uh, basically, he needs some patience. Yes, his college tape reveals some fireball tendencies. He will have better athletes in the NFL to throw to, obviously, but he still has a tendency to get rid of the ball just a slight second early sometimes. Um, he can also he can make most throw, almost any throw, and he's technically very sound with his footwork. Um, he does need a little development time to absorb whichever NFL carry playbook he will be carrying. Uh, I think he's an underrated scrambler. My favorite tape on him is uh, versus Mississippi State defense with some legit NFL prospects on it. Um, They're missing Dixon in this game. He's also missing one of his top wide receivers. They lost 45 to 20, but Driscoll still threw for over 300 yards and a pair of touchdowns. Uh, Is he a franchise QB? That's yet to be determined, but he's likely a day three guy that could be a bargain. He reminds me of a more mobile Kurt Cousins or sort of a uh, Sam Bradford without the laundry list of injuries. So, you know, when rookie drafts come around, this guy's going to be available fifth or sixth, seventh round unless, you know, unless Cleveland doesn't take the quarterback in the first and they take this guy in the second or something like that. It's going to be pretty, pretty uh, evident that he'll probably be a backup this first year. And you don't, necessarily need to tap him in your rookie drafts but you know seventh round if you need QB depth or if he goes to like the Jets and you own Fitzpatrick or you own Carson Palmer this is a, if he goes to Arizona this that's the guy that you want to I think his game is going to translate a lot better than people think um uh, he was a Florida Gator did transfer to La Tech just because he couldn't get himself on onto the field but I think basically is what that boiled down to but uh under underrated scrambler like I said guy is He's not going to be a guy that's going to take off, but uh, he 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 has some games in college where he did do that. It did do that well. Like I said, benefit from a rookie year needs needs a little more play playbook absorption, I think. But uh, I really like all the all the tools and all the intangibles. I don't know if he necessarily checks all the boxes, but he can make any throw, and he's got the footwork. And those those things I think are the most important when it comes to quarterback is accuracy and footwork. Those are the two things that I look at a quarterback, and I think Driscoll has both of those things. So, Any questions there on Driscoll, Nick? Well, I think the accuracy and the footwork tend to go hand-in-hand. Hand. Usually, if your footwork's good, you're going to be pretty accurate. But uh, I was wondering, other than Mississippi State, are there any other uh, quality opponents that he played against in college? Not that I have seen film on yet, and you can... I was... Another thing that I was fortunate to find, I actually found that whole game tape on that, on YouTube, the whole game tape of that game. So I, there's not a lot of film out there. You really have to kind of dig for it. Um, I think the other one I watched was he had a really good game against Arkansas State. I think that was the bowl game this year. And he, he just looks looks awesome in that game. And that, and I think that's, even though it is a bowl game, I think that's they're obviously the better team there. And that's pretty evident, but uh, – that's that's really the only couple of games that I've had had a chance to watch. So um, I I would need to look back and see if I can find some other other quality opponents. But he certainly shows well in that excuse me in that Mississippi State game. And I think you know there's at least three guys on that defense, at least three guys on the defense that are gonna that are going to play on Sunday. It's going to be top you know four round picks I think. So that's a that's a good game to watch like I said YouTube and that's a good game to watch too because it's the opposing quarterback is Dak Dak Prescott who's a who's a guy that I 
I have rising up my quarterback list right now. He, you know, he's going to get that cop, Colin Kaepernick designation because he's that that mobile style guy. But he's he's a guy that really impresses me, and every time I watch him, I just come away even even more impressed. So, um, we'll have some more prospect profiles for you going forward as well. Creep closer to that NFL draft. Uh, but now it's time for me to pick on Nick with a little more trivia. So, Nick, are you ready? Sticking in the suit. Uh, right. <laughs> okay. Um, so hopefully you studied and listened up. But anyway, who has the most receptions in one Super Bowl game? And this happened recently. The Dion Branch. It is not Dion Branch. More more recent than that. More recent than that. Hmm. And it came in a it came in a loss. Larry Fitzgerald. No, actually, um, it says Demarius Thomas versus Seattle. Ironically, <laughs> since he had one catch for eight yards in the Super Bowl, uh, had thirteen <laughs> catches in that that loss to uh, Seattle. Interesting note there. Um, most, what do you want? If you want to stick with rushing, receiving, Nick, or should we go to rushing? I got a long list of. Okay. Um, Most rushing attempts in a Super Bowl game. From the 1980s. In the 80s, huh? Wasn't Timmy Mm -hmm. Smith. He had the yards at the time, but I don't think he had the attempts. Yes, he did have the yards. Um, Roger Craig? Nope. Joe you Morris. Were close, you were close. Oh, I forgot about Joe Morris. But uh, no, you were closer on the Timmy Smith. It was your boy Riggins, man. 156 yards versus Miami. 38 carries in that game. Um, four more than Franco Harris in '75, and five more than Larry Zonka in 1974. So um, that is all we have for you today. Uh, once again. Big thanks to Jeff Lloyd for stopping by and getting us getting us all ready with some prospects and some things to think about here as the uh, combines uh, quickly approaches. Uh, next week, like I said, we're going to start our off-season program of uh, we're going to be reviewing each kind of doing team reviews from each division here in the next uh, eight to nine weeks or so. Uh, we're also going to have um, right before. Fe- either right before or right after free agency starts. I can't remember where it's. We're going to have a free agent draft. Me and Nick are going to play the role of, like, uh, GMs. They were starting two expansion teams, and we have the first and second overall pick in the NFL draft, but we're also going to talk about how we want to supplement our team in a supplemental draft, and use, we're going to use this class of free agents, something I've thought a lot about, and I think it should be a lot of fun. So we'll see we'll see what uh, what directions we can go in there. But next week, we're going to start with the AFC West. Um, don't have anybody committed to the podcast just yet, but we'll probably have at least somebody. I know there's many, many folks I know out there in Raider Nation that I could probably get to come on the show. But we'll talk about all your AFC West teams. We're going to have two Dynasty Dilemmas this week. 
Pitt, Vaughn Miller versus just, Justin Houston, and I realize how, how ridiculous that sounds right now, but we'll see. We'll really look at their careers and see how that goes. And then um, we'll do Demarius Thomas versus Emmanuel Sanders, a couple, couple Denver wide receivers after winning the Super Bowl. And I'm, I'm assuming in the wake of a Peyton Manning retirement announcement here coming soon. So uh, any thoughts there, Nick, on some of the guys that have retired or – Guys that have gotten cut this last week, Marshawn, William Moore. Yeah, I mean, Marshawn, the only real surprise, I think, was Calvin Johnson. But, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week, playing in Detroit. It's not as much of a surprise as maybe as, as it would be if he were playing for a more winning organization. But it is too bad. But he was, it wasn't the same Calvin Johnson or Marshawn Lynch that we saw this year that we had seen in years past. So maybe it's just time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, like I said, next week, AFC West, big thanks to Jeff Lloyd for stopping by. We won't only be talking about the AFC West. We'll have some dynasty dilemmas, some trade analysis, some more prospect profiles too. So stick around for that. And any questions you ever want, just tweet tweet me at, at Josh underscore DFW Pulse, and we will certainly talk about them. On the air, questions, trade talk, whatever. We will get that going for you. So thank you so much for joining us. This has been the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am Joshua Johnson. He is Nick Wagner. Have a great week, and we'll keep this offseason clicking for you. Life without football is tough, but we will be here every week for you. Take care. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.